It is my privilege at this time to dismiss our children to Children's Church. Encourage you guys to head out the back door. It is good to be back up here. Believe it or not, it has been several weeks since I have got to stand behind the pulpit and I'm itching and raring to go, so I am glad to be here and blessed to be here with you guys as well. I've noticed I've heard a uh, phrase a lot recently, and it really isn't about every generation that I can think of in recent days, and it's the phrase, I never thought I would see the day. We tend to to, uh, use that phrase a lot in just looking at everything that is going on in the world around us. And I'm guessing that you have probably heard that more than a few times, probably over the last year and a half, to say the least. Many of you probably want to say, would probably like to say, I don't ever want to hear it again either. Um, I heard, I can't remember who said it. It might have actually been you, Joe, that said, "If if I ever hear the word unprecedented again, it'll be too soon. Because we live in this really crazy time. And you know, last week we had the privilege of of getting to look back 76 years at the ministry of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church. Of who we are, of where we came from, and, and, and and, and now we are very blessed because we also get to still look forward. And still think about where is Tunnel Hill Baptist Church going to go? And where is God going to lead and and, and move Tunnel Hill Baptist Church into the future? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, not every church is that blessed in these recent years. I actually saw a study this week that said because of the pandemic, and I was kind of dealing with the fact that the pandemic is kind of starting to see this second wave and and all that's going on. They said that one in every five churches in the United States will permanently close because of the pandemic. One in five, 20%. But... As we look forward and as we have this blessing and this privilege of looking forward, we, there's some things that we kind of hear and these kind of things that we, we, we kind of hear in our conversation about the world around us and, and things like this, that things are, are just different today. You know, as you look back on what the world was like when, when you were a kid and, and, and maybe you could say, well, man, back when I was a kid, I heard someone say this week, back when I was a kid, we never locked our doors. And back when, back when I was a kid, for, I'll speak for myself as a, a product of the 80s, back when I was a kid, we just left. We, just be, we were watching Sandlot with my family, and, and at one point in the movie Sandlot, the, the main character, Smalls, is invited to go play baseball, and you see him just kind of go, okay, and he opens up the screen door, and he just shouts inside, Mom, I'm going to go play ball, and just leaves. It would never happen today. And we would do that. We'd be like, bye, Mom, we'll be back. When the street lights turn on and we were gone. Do you guys remember those days? We don't do that today. Today's just different. We say things, well, it was never this way when I was younger. We never had to worry about this. We never had to think about that. We never had to talk about these things when I was younger. We say things like, I, I never thought I would see days like this. And then what I hear most often, especially as we begin to talk about the church and where we're going as the church is, I just don't know what we're going to do. In other words, these days are 
unprecedented. There's no book to go to. There's no, there's no, um, uh, there's no life application, uh, self-help uh, publication out there that can tell us what to do in days such as this. And so we ask ourselves the question, what are we going to do? How does the, the people and the members of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church and really all of the church walk into the future with confidence and on mission for God? We have to acknowledge the fact these are, that things are not the way they were. And the way that, that, that we live our lives are not the same that with the ways we lived our lives 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and, and on back. And so therefore, we can't assume that the church can keep doing the same things that the church did 10 years, 20 years, 30 years back. So how does the church, those who are followers of Christ, look into the future, look into the future of 2021, and look into the futures of 2025 and 2030 and 2040? How do we look into the future with any sense of confidence and have a mission for what God is calling us to do as his church? Well, I have good news for you. And what may be unprecedented and unforeseen to us has never been unprecedented and unforeseen to God. And because of this, Jesus has already told us what we must do as we look to the future of Tunnel Hill. And to find that answer, we are going to turn to the gospel of Matthew. And as you can see, oh, it's not on the screen. Good deal. Um, go to Matthew chapter 10. There it is. Sometimes I feel like I'm building up to tell you where the scripture is and it's been up there the whole time and you guys are like, just get to it, man. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16, we're here. I want to explain where we are before we jump into the text. And where we are in the text is Jesus is about to send out his disciples to, to go do the work of ministry. He's, gonna, he's basically going to send them all out to go preach and proclaim and to, to make the gospel known in all these surrounding villages. And, and he's, he's sending them forth. And what's interesting about this passage is as he's talking, he's talked some about what they are going to do. But then as we get into verse 16, he starts talking about what it's going to be like for them even after he has departed. Even after he has been crucified and he resurrects and he ascends to the Father, he, he kind of jumps very quickly to what they're going to do right here in Matthew 10 to what are they going to do in Acts chapter 2. And what he is telling them in this passage today still applies to us, the church, today. So we're going to read verses 16 through verse 20, and I would ask for you to just one more time read, stand for the reading of God's word. And these are the words of Jesus. He said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how um, or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Please be seated. So we are asking ourselves the question, 
How does the church, what does the church do in order to look forward into the future with confidence and stay on mission for God? And I want to present just a few things from this passage that will help us look to the future and have a plan and a mission for what God is calling us to do. The first thing there is understand that we are being sent. And I want to just make this, I want you to take this very, very personally. In fact, I want you to say, I, want, I need to remember that I am being sent. That you are being sent. It is very easy for us when we start talking about the fact that God has called all of us on mission and into ministry to think that that is some abstract idea about the church in general. And when we make it this abstract idea about the church in general, what we're saying is, yes, I believe that y'all are being sent. And we kind of apply that sentness to everyone but us because we think we have a note from the doctor. Like, well, I know that I'm called to make disciples of all nations, but don't do that. I want you to take this, this statement that you have been sent by God to accomplish his mission personally. And literally, I want you to understand that you, I'm going to say it one more time, you, each individual in this room, if I could name you all by name, I would, have been sent by God to accomplish his work in this world. See, there's this thing that happens, especially when things get really uncertain in the world. And in our lives, let's be honest, in our lives, both in the church and in probably every individual in here, when we start to feel threatened, when we feel like we are, are at risk or we are in jeopardy, or at the very least, our future starts to seem really uncertain and unsure, we have this natural reaction that I like to call circling the wagons. Now, if you ever watched Westerns or was ever played, if you're an 80s baby, played the Oregon Trail, then circling the wagons was when they were westward, heading westward and they had all their covered wagons and they would feel like they were under attack, whether from whatever it might be, and they would circle up the wagons because it made them more defensible to whatever it was that was trying to get them. And so the circle the wagon idea is that because we do not know what to do next and because we are afraid, we put ourselves in a defensive position in order to not lose what we have. And brothers and sisters, churches have been circling the wagons for decades. And we are suddenly in this position where all we are trying to do is not lose what we've got. That was never what God called us to do. We see this all the time. We see this when we start to focus more of our attention on retention and not evangelism. We see this when people are trying to do everything they can to keep the congregation happy, making sure that they have the right coffee and the right chairs and the right rooms and the right lighting and the right volume and the right times and the right uh, styles of preaching and music and whatever. We see this when we begin to de-emphasize evangelism and missions in order to emphasize things like fellowship, eating, and just generic Bible study. It is a sad day 
when the church will meet to open up the Bible four times a week and will not dedicate any time to sharing Christ with others or praying diligently for their community. And all of these things represent churches that have begun to circle the wagons in order to desperately hold to keep what they have. I was listening this week to a podcast by a guy named Paul Wooster. And Paul Wooster is, a, is, is the leader of campus um, ministries for the North American Mission Board. And Paul Wooster said this, he said, most college ministries do just enough to keep the Christian kids they have still Christian. And then he followed it by saying this, God has called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of aquariums. And I don't know about you, but I think that applies to the church too. We have been called as the church to be fishers of men, fishers of people, not keepers of aquariums. And that needs to affect the way we do ministry. No, Christ does not say, do your best to make sure all 12 of you come back. He said, behold, I send you out. In fact... If we look at the rest of that sentence, we begin to understand that not only does he send us out, but he sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. There's a picture that is wanting to be painted there by Jesus. And this is not just a little zoo that he is creating in our minds in these first few verses. But what he is saying is this, that Jesus knew full well that he was going to send his church into risky places. I want you to understand that. I'm going to read that again. Jesus knew full well that he was going to send his church into risky places. Jesus tells them, that what tells them what risk they are even going to face as we continue on in the passage. He talks about them being arrested. He talks about them being flogged and beaten, even in the places of worship in the synagogue, even to the point of them being handed over to Gentile governments, to the governors and the kings, because they are followers of Christ. The church today has to be ready and willing to go into hard places for the sake of the gospel. I truly, truly, truly believe that we live in a day and age where there are two Americas. And that there is the church America, the Christianized America, the evangelicalized America, where these people go to church, they grew up going to church, they know who Chris Tomlin is, they know all the words to Amazing Grace, whether they sing hymns in their church or not, they know how to dress in church, they know how to sit in church, and they know how to act. And often that type, that part of America associates with itself. And they know each other and they, they talk to each other and the people, and when it talks about church growth, it's just those same people bouncing around from church to church to church to church to church. But there is another America that is not churched. The unchurched America. And they've never been in a church. And they don't know what the gospel is and they've never read a Bible, let alone own one. And they've never heard the good news of the gospel. And the sad thing is, is because the Christian side of America only associates with himself, they don't know who to even ask. They don't work with those people. They don't associate with those people. Those people never cross their life in a meaningful way. 
And so there are people, and I want you to realize this, because I'm talking about right here in Hardin County, Kentucky. There are people right here in Hardin County, Kentucky that will be born, they will live, and they will die, and not one person will ever actually share Christ with them. Can you believe that? And yet, I will tell you flat out, as, as we have gone out and as we have delivered these gospel bags and these gospel tracts, and we go up to people and we begin to talk with them, you can tell that some of them don't know who we are, don't know why we're doing this, and don't know what the message in that bag contains. And brothers and sisters, we've got our work cut out for us. Because we cannot be satisfied with that scenario. In fact, you need to ask yourself this question. Am I playing it safe? Am I playing it safe? Have I circled the wagons in my life so that my family and my little circle of friends are all safe? And I'm going to do everything I can to keep any sort of outside outside bad influences away from my family and I'm going to circle my wagons in such a way that that my little Christian bubble stays a nice safe little Christian bubble or are you living a sent life that trains not only you but the people around you including your loved ones to view their lives as sent also so that the gospel will actually touch a lost world that doesn't know Jesus. God did not call us to safety and security and contentment in our little bubbles. But he sent us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We see this played out in Acts chapter 8. And I'll be honest, I often look at what happened in, in these chapters in 6, 7, 8 of the book of Acts as the church was starting to get very settled and, and secure and safe in Jerusalem. And so God blew things up. And it says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and then jumping down to verse 4, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, being Stephen, to death. So that on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. See, the example we have from the early church is when the going got tough, the tough got proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, look at the world around you. Things are tough. Things aren't going great. The virus is still there and about. Everywhere we look, they have help wanted ads suggesting that they don't have enough employees. They don't have enough stuff. Everybody I talk to that works in any sort of, of business scenario has the big, their biggest problem is getting stuff. Making sure they have the food that goes on the menu. Making sure they have the parts for the repairs. Making sure they have the material to run the lab tests. Things are tough. People are living in a tough time right now and they are frustrated and they are, they are sad and they are angry and they don't know what they're going to do next and you have good news for them. Will you share it? So if we are sent, 
And if we really take that sentness seriously, what do we do? I have given the, the, as advice this next line so often in the last year that I had to share it with you today. And he says this, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now you may be sitting here going, oh great, more animals. But he is saying something here that we as the church need to really think about. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be as shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove? Well, starting with this, this statement as being as shrewd as a serpent. Now, it is going to be in our natural thought process to immediately say, well, isn't that a bad thing? Is it, don't we view, if we said, if someone said, oh yeah, they're, they're as shrewd as a snake or they're, they're snake-like. You know, typically speaking, if I call Dennis a snake, y'all are going to think I have a problem with him, right? And that's rightfully so, because if we go to Genesis 3.1, it says that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. And he's the one that kind of got us in this whole pickle to begin with. But that's not actually what Jesus is saying here. That's not actually the intention. In fact, the word shrewd here is a really interesting word that can mean wise, prudent, intelligent. Jesus is call, calling his followers to be smart, to be thoughtful and prepared as they engage the world around them. We need to know what we believe. We need to know whom we are trying to engage and we need to know the best way to communicate the good news. And I want you to think about that for just a second. We need to know some stuff. We're not supposed to just take our Christianity lightly and flippantly and just be like, oh yeah, I said that prayer so I know I'm good so I never have to think about that again. But instead, Jesus calls us to be clever, shrewd, wise, intelligent, with how we engage the world. I've heard it said before that Christianity was the thinking man's religion. And while we do know that we are saved by grace through faith, Jesus' words here are a reminder that our faith is one that does not mean ignorance. We are called to know who we are and what we believe and why. So that when we have these conversations with people who are lost, who don't know who Christ is, who do not see the world the way we see it, we can give a reasonable defense for the hope that is in us. Paul said this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the work of truth. He is literally calling Tim to put in the work. Be diligent to know the word. So that in any scenario and in every scenario, you have a word of hope and a word of truth for those who might be listening. While Christianity may be a thinking man's religion, it is most certainly not a lazy man's religion. But God has given us his word and he has given us the church so that we may grow. And therefore, we should be diligent, hardworking to do that, to be a part of that growth. 
Not only this, but he calls us to be as innocent as doves. This statement has much more to do with our walk with God. In fact, if we were to take the first part of of this, this exhortation to be shrewd and we left it where it was, we may be tempted to think that it would be all right for us to commit little sins in hopes of creating some sort of greater good. If God had just left it to, hey, you need to be as shrewd as serpents, we might be tempted to think things like, well, yeah, I know the Bible says drunkenness is bad, but there are just so many people at the bar who don't know Jesus. Or I know that that a little white lie might be a sin in the eyes of God, but if I say this little white lie, I might be able to build a relationship with these lost people that may lead them to Christ. We will say, I know I, I, know I am not living for the Lord, but that's going to put me in a strategic position to help witness to lost people. But that's not what Jesus did. He called us to be both as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Jesus follows this call, meaning that we should be innocent in regards to sin and sinful thoughts and sinful lifestyles. The life of the Christian cannot be mixed or tainted with sinful ideas, sinful thought processes, and sinful actions. God is concerned with both the means and the ends. We are called to be clever, but without sinful compromise in any way. We speak the truth. We are as on it. We are honest. We do what is right. We honor God in all that we are. And as we do so, we use the brain power that God has given us to see people come to know Christ. Paul, again, says something very similar to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. God is calling us as the church. Listen, there's this, you know, I I see this on Facebook all the time and I don't agree with it. So if you posted it, this is your chance to find out, you know, I don't agree with it. That says people who are old and wise used to be young and stupid. Well, I hate to tell you, but I know a lot of old, stupid people too. Some things people think that they need to learn for themselves. The only problem is they don't learn. Wisdom does not come from experience. Wisdom comes from the words of God. In fact, if you are not in a Sunday school class, I will plug that right now. In Sunday schools right now, we are studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And just today in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon spoke of experience and the experiences he had. And the reality was, as he said, God is what matters. Your experiences will not make you wise. Your experiences will not make you successful. Your experiences probably or do not necessarily mean that you will be a great evangelist. But God does. He does matter. And he will move in fantastic ways. And when you are obedient to the word, you will have a powerful witness. Brothers and sisters, all of this points to the reality that we need to put in the work. We need to know how how to share our faith. In fact, we need to know how to share our faith in more ways than one. We have taught you a great deal at this church about how to present the gospel using the three circles, but that is not the only way. It is a way. And you need to know how to present the gospel in probably more than one way because one person's going to need to hear the gospel from you because they have absolutely seen the bottom fall out of their world. 
another person's going to need to hear the gospel from you because they think they have everything figured out and they have all the answers. Another person's going to want to hear the gospel from you because they just don't know what it is and they're a little curious. And every single person needs to hear the gospel, but they may not need to hear it in the same way. And so we need to know how to share our faith. We need to know how to defend our faith and do so in a respectful and loving manner. If someone asked you, why do you do the things you do? Would you say, because thus saith the word of God? Or would you say, I don't know, I've just always done it that way. We need to be able to, we need to know why we do what we do. Why we believe what we believe. And do so in a way that will help people understand why we believe, not make them feel inferior or stupid. And guys, we need to know our community. We need to know who lives where, what they believe, why they believe it, how that shapes their daily life and their work schedule or their lack thereof. We need to know what holes exist in their heart that only God can fill. And we need to engage them with the truth of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a lazy man's religion. Brothers and sisters, we have to put in the work. There's one more thing I want you to learn from this text. And that is even though we need to put in the work, we need to trust in the Spirit too. I think it is interesting that Jesus tells his followers to be as shrewd as they can be and innocent in regards to sin and then immediately follows that with a reminder that the Spirit is the one who is going to move in their lives and move in their hearts and give them the words they need. And I want you to understand there's a, there's a balance here. There's a tension. And if we go too far one way or the other, we're, we, we miss the mark. See, if we think that, that all of Christianity is just what we can learn and what we can study and what we can do and we, we cease to trust in the Spirit, we won't bear fruit because that only comes from God. But if we totally think we're going to just totally completely rely on the Spirit and, and never worry about studying and never worry about knowing our Bible and never worry about being with the body and, and being discipled in any way, shape, or form, yes, you may move with great emotion and great fervor, but you will go nowhere. I heard the story once that Martin Luther was feeling convicted that he had not been trusting in the Spirit enough in his preparation for sermons. And so one Sunday he decided he wasn't going to prepare for his sermon and all, and he was just going to let the Spirit move. And as he got up to church that Sunday to preach the message, he, the Spirit moved in a very mighty way, and it moved only in his head when it said, you should have studied. We need both. There is a balance and attention to the Christian walk where Christ followers should both put in the work and the study time to be trained for ministry and righteousness, but also place their faith and trust in God and through his spirit to see the fruit come about. We prepare, we study, we learn, and then we trust God to sort out all the details. We trust God to give us the words that we need in the moment to recall the things that need to be recalled, to bring back the scripture that we have learned in the times that we most need it so we can preach truth and love and grace and forgiveness to people who need it.
We are dealing with things today unlike anything in recent history. Global pandemics, gender confusion, the complete breakdown of the family, as well as the complete breakdown of law and order in our nation. And yet the Christ follower can engage the world around him with confidence because they know, because we know that God is not done reaching the nations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we do step out in the spirit and we go to scary places and we do scary things among scary people because the gospel needs to go forth to them. I'm reminded of what the Lord spoke to Paul in Acts chapter 18. And starting in verse 9, he said this. He said, And the Lord said to Peter in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Do you know on any given Sunday, one in five homes that you pass on their way here is involved in church. A very, very small number of people are filling up all these churches every week. But I believe that the words that God had for Paul in this passage is true for Elizabethtown and Hardin County today. Do not be afraid, for I have many people in this city. And the question is, is will we go and proclaim the good news to them so that they might hear and believe and call out and be saved? If you'd like to know what that message is, um, do we have the three circles that we can put up here? Let me show you. So we talk about training. We talk about knowing your stuff. This is one of the ways that you can know your stuff. The Bible says that God made all things. Genesis 1.1 says, For God created the heavens and the earth. God made everything, and he made everything with purpose and on purpose. And that includes you, and that includes them, whoever the they are in your life. But all of us have departed from God's plan and we've gone our own way and that's called sin. And when we depart from God's plan to create our own plan, that leads us to a place of brokenness. We talked about brokenness in Sunday school this morning when we talked about how all the ways that, that people try to create meaning in their life. And those are all those squiggly lines there where people try to escape their brokenness even though they're still stuck in their brokenness. They try to create meaning and purpose and value and wholeness in their life. But we can't fix brokenness for brokenness. And so we need something outside of our brokenness to save us. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. And the gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son and his name is Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And that he defeated the death by he defeated death by rising from the grave 3 days later, and even now he sits at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says that if you will believe and repent that you will be saved. In fact, Romans 10, 9 says it this way. It says, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have to believe in Jesus that this good news is true, that everything about Jesus is true, that what the word of God says about Jesus is true. And not only believe that, but then we have to turn to him as our Lord. 
turning away from sin. That's what repent means. The word repent means to turn. And we turn from our sin and our brokenness, and we turn to Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And if we will do that, we will begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. Now I'm going to take a shot here, and I bet there's someone in your life that needs to hear this. Maybe it's you. And if that's the case today, we would invite you to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. We would ask you, what is keeping you from, from leaving and, and escaping this brokenness that you probably know you're stuck at as you try to do everything but repent and believe in the gospel? What is keeping you from believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and making him the Lord of your life? And if the answer is nothing, then we would invite you to do that this morning. In fact, however God is calling you to respond to this message today, we would invite you. Our front is open. If you'd like to come to the Lord in prayer, if you'd like to have prayer with me, if God is calling you to maybe join in fellowship with this church or, or be baptized or whatever it might be, however God is speaking to you today, we would invite you to respond. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we praise you so much for who you are. God, we praise you that you have told us what to do. God, you have told us how we can look into uncertain times and move forward with confidence. God, we know that you can do this because you already know the beginning and the end, that all, nothing is hidden from you and all things are revealed. So God, as we come before you now, Lord, we pray that if there's anyone in this room who is looking for that meaning and purpose, looking for that confidence and hope and does not have it because they do not have a relationship with you, Lord, that today would be the day that they surrender their lives and trust in you completely. God, I also pray that for the rest of us that we will fight the urge to circle our wagons. And God, that we would begin to, to look outward, to be on mission, to be sent by you for the sake of your kingdom. God, that we would indeed be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves, trusting the spirit all the way. And God, I pray that this will be a church that begins to go deep into the darkness surrounding Hardin County to see people come to know Christ. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.